629, 53 seconds. We're ready to go. We're right on time. I want to start with something a little bit tonight. We did something here for a long time, and then we took a little break from it, but I feel like I just was feeling today we need to bring it back a little bit. Remember EDMs? What does EDM stand for? Everyday miracles. Not, we're not looking for epic. We're not looking for grandstand stuff. We're looking, what are, the, what are the things that God's doing in our lives that we would say, that's an EDM, it's a great thing, and yay, God. And just share that to encourage one another. And so let's just take, a, take two or three of those as we get started. I see hands, hands, hands. So we'll start here with Chris and we'll get... Oh, you have to have a microphone. It's okay. We already know who you are. We already know who you are. Oh, no, this is good. This is good. I'll help you. On, on Sunday, you... Hold were... on. Wait. Oh. Russ, are we up? Yeah, we are. Um, on Sunday, you were talking about different versions of the Bible. Yeah. Like the, um, uh, and you mentioned the um, New Century Version, mm-hmm. and I'd never heard of it before. And, uh, and, I, and I love looking at different versions. You know, I have several. And, um, and so my friend Candy was sitting next mm-hmm. to me, and I said, I'm going to get one of those. And, um, and so, um, Monday I was off work and I was doing the, uh, actually I wasn't thrift storing. I was just, um, running some errands in town mm-hmm. and, and I ran to the thrift store. There was a, um, new century version on the bookshelf for 25 cents. Oh my, come on. And it's like brand new. That is great. I know. All right. What we do for EDMs is we clap for EDMs because we want... We want to celebrate what God's doing, whether it's a millimeter or a mile, and that's a beautiful thing. And it, it may be a little thing to somebody, but that was a big thing to you because you wanted that. Do you like it so far? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am too. I really like it. So, thank you, Melissa. You wanna? Um, this morning I was getting up and I was tired, and I've been ranch sitting for like months straight, and I'm just dragging, and I set. I finished my devotional, and I hit shuffle on my um, phone as I was getting ready to step into the shower, and I hear the music, to goodness of God, and I just bellowed out, I love you, Lord. (laughs) And that's how I started my day. There you go. It's a good way to start your day. Yeah, come on. EDMs, that's what we call them. Anybody else have one they want to share? Just something... What's the thing that God's doing that you just went, wait, that was a God moment. That was a God thing, Shirley. Well, besides the fact that I spent 45 minutes on the phone with Liz this afternoon. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, and this is from your sermon on Monday, on Sunday. Uh, all of a sudden, it hit me, and I don't know why all of a sudden, that I was, I really am at the right hand of God and everything, the enemy especially, is under my feet. And so I don't have to worry how long it's going to take me to heal and walk by myself. You're about to get dangerous, that's for sure. (laughs) Amen, amen. That's a good, that's awesome. That's called revelation. That's when something gets, the layer gets peeled back and something is revealed. That's beautiful. We've been uh, working on the Dave Ramsey program. And uh, we established, through God's help, a $1,000 emergency fund. And a week or so ago, my wonderful 23-year-old truck broke down. And uh, it was something that I couldn't fix. So I took it out to my favorite mechanic. And 
when I went to pick it up the other day, it was $997. So we're now working on a new emergency fund. That's all right. But the truck is working, and I can keep working. That's beautiful. You had it. Yeah, don't get me talking about Dave Ramsey, because he was my boss. I don't know who started. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Just make those baby steps. Take those baby steps. One other. We'll take one more if you've got one. Anybody have another one? not we'll just keep moving all right yeah hey how are you doing so i'm a hospice nurse and i have really difficult i really i have really difficult situations and i have a patient that had a problem and i couldn't fix it but everybody wanted me to fix it Mm -hmm. and this morning i i really had intention and prayed to god that he would just take that over and take that from me and he did. She was much better. She was Beautiful. actually better than she's been in a long time. So Beautiful. Thank um, you for sharing that. And again, yes, amen. And thank you for what you do. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful service. Let's pray as we get started tonight. I need to get my stuff out. I need to get my book out. If you didn't get a book, they're $10. We have them available. If you're a couple, you can either get one each or just one between the two of you. But we're going to use these as we go through, and we'll follow and and my book's not here. So um, it's good. I got it on the screen. So we'll, we're good to go there. So let's pray as we get started. Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege and what a joy it is to be together as friends, as family, but even more importantly, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Lord, we thank you that you're good. So we come to you as we embark on this journey together as students, as disciples, as pupils. As those sitting at the feet of Jesus, not the feet of Jimmy, but the feet of Jesus, and we're here together to explore together and learn how we can be free to love. And I thank you for the journey that all of us are on as we're moving from the place of doing loving things to becoming love. Give us grace as we unpack this together. And Father, I thank you for your word because your word is full. It's so loaded. It's stacked with truth in regard to this issue of love. I'm asking, Father, as a son to a good father, that you would release over all of us, including myself, because I want to go deeper and deeper in this, that you would release over us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. And that's Paul's prayer from Ephesians 1. The spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation. So Lord, would you peel back layer by layer as we learn, as we grow, and as we go deeper and grow deeper together. Thank you again for this journey we're on. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen and amen. Well, thank you and welcome to the first night. We're going to hit the ground running. We're doing the study. Bill Loveless and I met, uh, we've met for now three years, at least once a month, sometimes twice. Our favorite place is High Street Cafe over in Comfort. He studies over at His Hill, which is a Bible school there, and I live about five miles from there. So we meet and converge there uh, at least once a month. And we have found that we've, we've got this system now. He approached me a little over a year ago, actually it's about a year and a half ago, with a book, maybe two, a book he had written by my, or read by Mike Mason. And the book was called Practicing the Presence of People. Now, I've, I've mentioned that book in here before. I don't know if anyone here has read it, but if you want to be wrecked, you can read that book. 
And, you know, you remember the, the book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God, or Practicing His Presence. You may have heard that. Well, Mike Mason flipped it and said, not only do we need to learn to practice the presence of God, but the second commandment is like unto the first, which is love your neighbor as what? Yourself. So we need to also learn, how do we practice the presence of people? How do we? And so Mike Mason wrote this wonderful book, Practicing the Presence of People. By the way, when he wrote it, he was a recluse. He was a writer, he was a freelance writer, and he had written several books. But as a recluse, he found it easy to hide behind the pen or behind the keyboard. And so he hid out basically his whole life, and God began to draw him out. And he began to realize, I've used being an introvert as an excuse. I've actually become a recluse. It's unhealthy. And so he began to branch out in his own life, trying to connect with people and get outside and really overcome something that was debilitating to Mike. And so Mike, out of that journey and out of that adventure, wrote this book, Practicing the Presence of People, 25 years ago. So Bill picks up the book a couple years ago, and it wrecks Bill. So Bill and I meet for lunch, and he is just a mess. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, I mean, like, he's like emotional. I said, are you going through menopause? Are you okay? What's going on? You know, I couldn't figure out what was happening there. No, what? It's real, trust me. Um, I know by experience. So, I, you know, something's going on, and he, he said, I, I've read this book, and it's wrecking me, and it's the one by Mike Mason. So he started that journey. I got the book. It wrecked me. I gave it to Don Stefanoff. It wrecked Don. I mean, anybody who's read it has been wrecked. So if you want to be wrecked and realize that we have a long way to go when it comes to loving one another biblically and loving one another with the love of the Father, I recommend that book. Highly recommend. So now, fast forward a few months, a little about a year ago, he said, I've been praying and I really feel like God is having me write a book or write a booklet or some hook books, he calls them, the, the little books, on how to love one another, love. And he said, I'm just, I'm completely messed up. So he and I began having these conversations, and so he would bounce ideas off of me, and I would bounce ideas back. And so together, just, just kind of just back and forth, volleyball, badminton thing, uh, tennis, we were able, he began to flesh this thing out. And the product that you have in your hand there, that's the final product. That's the book he just finished literally a few weeks ago. So it's brand new, literally hot off the press. We may or may not find some typos and stuff because this is like the first run of this. And uh, so we're one of the first groups actually going through it. I kept telling him, I can't wait till you finish it because we're going to be wrapping up the Purple Book, our discipleship series. And for the fall, I want to do this. Because what I've learned is not only do we need to understand our identity in Christ, who we are and whose we are, but that should naturally lead us to a place of loving one another and doing what the Bible says. In fact, if you'll look at the screen, I'm going to have these up here, and it says this, a new command I give you, and remember this was Jesus speaking, a new command I give you, love one another. Now we can stop there and that's enough, right? I mean, he just said this is the command. I want you to do this. And then look what he says. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That begs the question, how did Jesus love us? And when we begin to unpack that, if you're not wrecked, you will be if you'll sit and think about that for just a little bit. Jesus laid down his life for you and I. He gave everything he had, the best he had for you and I. And so that's 
He's saying that's how we're to love one another. But here's the truth, and we're going to unpack this tonight as we jump into the first chapter. You can follow along in your book. I'm going to bounce through it. We're going to stay pretty much in order with the book. The scriptures you'll see in the book, I've got them on the screen. But we're going to move through it fairly quickly. And then next week, I'm going to ask you to do homework. So before next week, I'm going to ask you to actually get in your book and go through chapter 2. And don't just read the scriptures that are in the book, go get your Bible, your translation, your favorite one, and go through those yourself. So spend some time with it, lean into it, and here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you the same favor that Bill in the book asks, and you may see that on the first, that opening page. He asks us to approach the Bible and these scriptures as though we've never heard them before. Let these speak to us new. I know one thing that can happen that those of us who've walked with Jesus for a long time will hear the beginning of a verse and and in our mind we'll go, I already know that. Oh, I know that. And what will happen is we won't even listen to the word and allow it to renew our mind. Our minds are renewed by the washing of the pure water of the word, the scripture says. So I want to hear the word and lean into and say, Lord, I want to hear something fresh. I want to read the same scripture I've read, but I want to hear it fresh for the first time. So I'm going to ask you as a favor, lean into what we're doing and don't assume anything. And let's position ourselves and posture ourselves to have a fresh renewal and a fresh encounter with the love of God. Amen? So a number of years ago, we were living out in Southern California. And and I've always, when I came to Jesus, I've mentioned this, I came to him by grace through faith. And so my first encounter with Jesus, with Jesus was not of a wrathful God who was waiting to drop the hammer on me because I was a reprobate sinner. My first encounter with Jesus was the love of Christ that compelled me, that led me to repentance. So by coming to Jesus in that manner and not having a lot of filters or religious filters at the age of 19, I didn't come to God trembling and in fear. I came to him grateful. I came to him so grateful. And so I jokingly say, and this is a total time stamp of my life, but anybody remember Carol Burnett hanging on to Harvey Corman and he's trying to get out the door? Anybody remember that? All right. So there's a handful of us that remember that. If you don't, it was hysterical when I was a kid. So, so it was hysterical. It was so funny. So, but that, that's me to Jesus. So when I sin, instead of running away, I actually run and grab like, I need you. I need help. I need you. And so that has been my relationship with Jesus. But I understand that's not everybody's relationship with Jesus. Depending on the filters that are built into your life and how you grew up and the kind of church or maybe even the imprint that authority figures made on your life will impact your, your relationship with God. Fathers, oh, father wounds, oh my goodness. You talk about can damage you in your relationship. We call God a good father, but if you never had a good father, how are you going to relate to a good father if you never had one, right? So it's a very difficult thing sometimes to make that jump. This is where the love of Christ comes in and begins to untangle all of that damage that's been done. It might not have been a father figure. It could have been a coach. It could have been a teacher. It could have been a police officer who harassed you. It could have been, we go down the list on authority figures in our lives who maybe intentionally or unintentionally damaged us. And because of that, it's, it's created this angst against authority. Let me tell you what love does. It untangles that. It untangles that bird nest to where now you become free to love. 
And when you're free to love, the love of Christ that compels us will be the love of Christ through us that compels others to Jesus. And isn't that our heart? Don't we want to see people come to the same saving truth and knowledge of Jesus that we did? So by learning and becoming free to love, it will literally change the trajectory of our lives. And it certainly has mine through the years. So as we get started, uh, we're going to go in chapter one. What is our greatest calling? And I love this. Our greatest calling as followers of Jesus is to be lovers. Now, that's a bold statement, but we're going to see how the Scripture bolsters that. And so we're going to go, first of all, to Matthew chapter 22. And I won't take time to over-unpack the Scriptures like we do on Sundays because we're going to move fairly quickly through this. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and 37. I'm going to be using the NIV tonight, so I don't know what translation you read, but that's what I'm going to use because I like the flow of it. And Jesus, or they came to Jesus, and they said this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So these are, these are Pharisees, these are disciples, these are people coming to him and saying, we want to know what you think the most important thing is. And Jesus lays it out very clearly and quotes the Old Testament and out of the Old Covenant law. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, we don't have any contention with that. Of course, we need to love God. We need to love God. We need to give him everything we have, heart, soul, mind, everything. And then he goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And this is where we hit pause. This is where we hit a choke point. This is where we, this is where we say, uh-oh. This is where it gets difficult. Because it's easy to love God because God's faithful. And God, we love because he first loved us. But his children aren't always as easy to love. Can I get an amen? Don't point at anybody in this room. Sometimes we can be unlovable. <laughs> and here it is. Look, he says, the first is the greatest commandment, and the second is like unto the first. I love that one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of us think, well, I don't really think that highly of myself. Well, that's kind of sad. That's tragic. That means we need a, a new identity. We need a God esteem. Not a self-esteem, but a God esteem. We might need some help in the identity department. But he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, all of the, everything you are. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus is assuming that we love ourselves. And we may say, well, we really don't love ourselves, but really we do. We do. That's what self-protection is all about. That's what self-preservation is all about. It's loving yourself to protect yourself. And we can go we can peel all that apart therapeutically. We're not going to do that. But here's the deal. We're to love others as we love ourselves. And we see in another gospel, we're even told that we're to, we're to put other people before ourselves. And so our greatest calling is to be lovers. Listen to this. It leads us to John 13, 34 and 35. Remember the gospel of John. This is Jesus. He says this, a new command I give you. So here he is again saying a new command. We quoted this earlier. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And, and then he goes on to say, by this, by what? By, your love. by love. By your love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
What do you think it says to the world when a church is in disunity? What do you think it says to, to those that are watching us and saying, you tell me you have the answer for eternity, but you can't get along with the person sitting across the row. What do you think that says to the world? That we're supposed to be winning. We're supposed to be living lives that are exemplary, not by gritting our teeth and trying harder, but by, res by resting in Christ's finished work and Him living His life in us and through us so that they don't see us, they see Jesus in us. So again, it's not about being perfect. It's about being releasing the love of Christ in us and through us. It's them seeing us in our darkest day and saying, I don't know how you handled that trouble. I don't know how you handled that difficulty, but it compels me to beg the question, how did you do that? It's living a compelling life. And the only way we can do that is by the love we have for God, but the love we have for one another is our witness to the world. The world's not impressed if you love God, but they are encouraged and and impressed if you love one another because it's shocking and it's basically unnatural. So that's what is going to tell the world. So we're going to read a lot of, of scripture and we're going to start setting the stage for this. And some of you are going to want to skip ahead and go, I want the how to. Right now we're in the wow. So stay with the wow for a little bit. We'll get to the how, but we, we need to lay this groundwork. Listen to this. How do we know our calling is to be lovers, number one. So here's, break it down. You can see it in your book. You look at the value God puts on love because we want to value what God values. And so if God values something in the Scripture and we see it over and over and repeated over and over and you see it said in many different ways, there's a value there. And look what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13. You may be familiar with this verse. Paul writing... Remember to the church of Corinth. Church of Corinth had some, they had some baggage. They had some issues. It was a rough church. They had a rough start. Paul had to do a lot of correcting, a lot of correcting with what was going on in Corinth. I always jokingly say, people that say they want to return to the first century need to be, read the book of First and Second Corinthians. You may not want to go back there. It was a train wreck. So Paul spends a lot of time correcting and clarifying Unlike the book of Ephesians, which we're reading right now on Sundays, where he's just, this is his, he's just teaching out of love and life and excitement, knowing this might be the last thing he says. In Corinth, he was dealing with issues. And look what he says. If I speak in or with the tongue of, of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, look what he says here. He goes on, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, is that not impressive? Have you met people with great faith, can move mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. That means you can be the most spiritually you know, gifted individual. You can teach, you can preach, you pray in a prayer language, you lay hands on the sick and things happen. And, and yet if you have not love, if there is not love, he says that's nothing. You're just noise. You're just chatter. You're just static, clanging cymbals. He says this. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. He keeps beating the drum. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames... But have not love, I gain nothing. 
These are incredible acts that he's talking about. But he's saying if these are not fueled by and driven by love, if the compulsion isn't love, then they're nothing. They're just noise. Yes, Miss Charlene. Well, actually, that's not necessarily the case. It's written to all of us. The Bible is written to everyone. Uh, there, the ground is level at the cross. He even says there's no Gentile, no Jew, no male, no female, nor Greek. I mean, he makes it very clear that the ground is level at the cross. Jesus, when he said it is finished on the cross, he meant all these barriers, all these walls are torn down. And of course, we're learning on Sunday about the wall between Jews and Gentiles, completely abolished. So he made the ground level at the cross, and Jesus brought back value to women that the culture had devalued. He, brought, he elevated women. And where would we be without women? I'm telling you, we need everybody, all hands on deck, to do what the kingdom what the kingdom? Don't go there. I know what you're thinking, Paul. I know ex when I said that, I thought somebody's going to say we wouldn't even be here at all. But I, I knew somebody was going to go there. You weren't the one I thought would. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So I actually, you know, I, just, I have an active imagination. So when I say things, I'm like, uh, my mind goes where yours goes. So anyway, so here's what he says. He says, "But I have not love; I gain nothing." And that is the critical piece. So much. Religious activity and service. Do we want people to serve in the church? Absolutely. But do we want them to serve out of fear that they're going to somehow lose their salvation or lose favor with God? No. No. Or as Paul says, may the most. That means may it never be. No, that is not what we want. We want people to be moved by love, giving. And I talk about this a lot on Sundays. We want people to give out of gratitude and a heart of love, not under compulsion. Not because it's a duty that you're checking off a list. Not because you're breaking out your calculator and making sure you got 10% covered. We want people to give from here, not from here. We don't want people to give out of duty. What we want to see is that service that's rendered is service because of love. We're motivated and moved by love, or we become what we just read about. Noise. It's just chatter. It's just static. It's just religious duty. Can you imagine the difference between doing what you maybe have always done, but now it's out of love and not out of fear? I met with Kit Patterson today. Some of y'all may know Kit. Kit runs Luchenbach, basically. And I meet with a group of guys every Wednesday. Kit's one of those, and it was me and Kit. Two or more gathered, and we were sitting in marking plots, playing, praying for over the city. But we also had a great conversation about this very topic. And if you know Kit, he's got a perpetual smile on his face. It's the first thing that, that I thought, that guy loves Jesus. I mean, he just smiles. Great smile. And we were talking about identity and the love of Christ that compels us. And we just had this incredible iron sharpens iron time talking about, do you remember back in the day when what we did, we did out of fear? Do you remember back when what we did, we were so afraid that we were going to lose credit with God? We're going to lose some, you know, we're not going to get an attaboy or a pat on the back from God. So we served harder and we, we pulled up ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we worked harder and we worked longer and we read the Bible more and we prayed harder and all we got was tired. That's what we got, tired. 
And we were talking about how joyful and how li- when Jesus talks about I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. And that literally means overabundant, overfull. It means overflowing, literally in the Greek. It means literally an overflowing life. And the way we can have that is not because our circumstances turn. It's because our heart turns and our motivation is now from love, not out of fear. Does that make sense? I don't know about you, but when you get your child to do something and they do it out of pure fear, I don't know if you're you're a sadistic parent, that may be a great thing, but I'm telling you, and a child does something out of fear, that does not give me joy. That does not make me feel good about them and, oh, yeah, I give you credit for that. Oh, I want to know that my daughter is grabbing the trash can without being told and taking it out. hasn't happened yet, but I'm just saying, I can dream, right? <laughs> I can dream. Dream with me. Can you imagine what that would feel like if your child did something like that? And she's a great kid. She's, she, uh, yeah, amen. Your husband. Can you imagine, ladies, if your husband didn't put his clothes on the floor? Yeah, no, I'm naming it. I'll just go on and on. Now I'm meddling. I'm starting to meddle. But, but when I know that what she does is out of love, I just, it's just so joyful. It's joyful to me as a father. Can you imagine how God feels when what we do is purely out of fear? Okay, I'm going to do this because I don't want to displease you. I want, I'll, he's saying love, love, love. I want you to do it because you want to do it. I want you to do it because you love me and you want to do it with me. Let's co-labor together, collaborate. Let's cooperate together, cooperation. Let's cooperate and co-labor together. Let's do this together. He's a good father, remember? That's not just a song that we sing. He is a good father. He's our Abba Father. So listen to this. Number two, the first one was... um, Look at the value God puts on love. And so we saw that. Number two is God's priority on love. It's a high value, but it's also singular. Number one, it's his priority. Colossians chapter three. We covered the book of Colossians in our series this summer on identity in Christ. Look at what it says. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness. Think about putting this on. Remember, we're looking at the scripture fresh. Try to take a step back and come at it fresh. Think about what we're putting on, what's identifying us. He's saying, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That rings a lot like the fruit of the Spirit, does it not? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the nine fruit of the Spirit. They're the markers of the Spirit, the proof of the Spirit, the product of the, of the Spirit. It's the proof of His presence on a person's life when these nine things are flowing out of them. And He says this, put these things on. And then look what He says in, in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Well, now some of us just hit another choke point, didn't we? I don't know if y'all remember last week, but when Bill was here, he talked about a book, and he said, whatever you do, don't order this book. How many of you ordered that book? I did. He said, don't, so I did. So he said, whatever you do, don't go on Amazon. Don't do it. It's on Kindle. Don't get the... And the book was called Unoffendable. So I ordered the book, and I read the first chapter. I'm already offended reading the book. (laughs) 
The premise of the book is that nowhere do we ever have a right to hold anger against a brother or a sister. Ever. And he, he, he just deals a death blow to the one verse that we think gives us a right to be angry that says, be angry and do not sin. The verse right after that says, do not be angry. <laughs> we think, oh, well, you can be mad, just don't sin with it. Hello? Is that really consistent? You've got to read it in context. Context is king. So I dare you, I triple dog dare you to get that book. It's called Unoffendable. It's on Amazon, so I dare you to get it. So look what he says this, Whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If there's anybody that has a right or an ability to be mad, wouldn't it be the creator of this thing? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus, Father God, Son Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has every right to be angry, right? Every right. But does he choose anger? Well, you read the Old Covenant, you go, hmm, I don't know, maybe he did. It's, there's some, a lot of wrath in there. But you understand there was a whole different system at work. This was before Jesus. This is before the answer came. It's before Messiah came. We now operate out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we don't go back there and leap back into Deuteronomy and go, oh, these curses are going to come on me if I don't do this. We don't go back there. We don't go back. Jesus, it is finished. We go where Jesus takes us, and we're now in Christ, right? We're not under a dispensation of law. We're under dispensation of grace. And so in that, look what it says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God has every right to be angry at me, but he's not. Is that not amazing? So because the Lord has forgiven me at such a high level, at such a high level, it is literally thunder to my soul. And he says this, that as the Lord forgives me, I now have the privilege, we could say responsibility or duty, I actually think it's a privilege and an honor to forgive anyone. And I will not, I will not try to take up a cultural right to be angry and offended. So as you can see, we're stepping into some things here and we're just getting started. So we're going to roll into these things. So you hang in there. Jerry, you got something, brother? Jerry, you really nailed something when you used the word control because really that's, that's what this is. That's what anger is. Anger and unforgiveness is us controlling a situation. It's us operating in our flesh to control and manipulate another person. It's us holding somebody to something, and that is us trying to control them. And I'm telling you, when Jesus said <laughs> that we have to die in order to live, he meant it. There is a death that has to happen to our pride, to our vanity, to our flesh. In order to live, we have to die. Amen? Amen. 
Yeah, amen. And it's painful, isn't it? It's not easy, but it is doable. And so as we walk through this, great, thank you, Jerry, for sharing. As we walk through this, look what it says in verse 14. And over all these virtues, what are the virtues? I'm going to back up. Remember, compassion, kindness, humility, gentle, gentleness, and patience. He says, over all of these, which are the fruit of the Spirit. He says, over all of these, put on what? Love. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's love that binds all of them together. Do you notice, and we'll, we'll talk about this tonight, what the first fruit listed in the fruit of the Spirit is? What? It's love. Steve? Is this the agape love? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we'll talk about the different kinds of love, but what we're talking about, phileo love is that, that, that familiar fellowship, brotherly, sisterly. It's what we experience a lot around here. There's a lot of that going on here, which makes people that come visit us go, ah, oh, you are so loving. In fact, wow. And we had people visiting from Illinois, high Illinois. They're watching in. Do you all know we have a connect group starting in Illinois? The family was with us uh, two weeks ago. They were with us last Wednesday night. And precious, wonderful family, Wayne and uh, Kelly and their seven children. And they are going to start a connect group in rural Illinois. They're going to follow along with us on Wednesday night. So they're going to hear what I'm saying right now. And they're also going to be following with, along with us on Sunday mornings. And so we believe that connect groups are going to start all over the United States and who knows where else, right? So, huh? Uh, on, online. They're going to follow us through Facebook. They're watching the videos, and then, and then I'm putting out the study guides for them uh, for the material, and then they got their book for this, so they're following right along with us. We have to go on Facebook. If you want to get the video, if you're going to watch the video of this presentation. <laughs> eventually, we'll have it on our own website, but that's a time thing, and we'll eventually do that. So look what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 and now these three remain. Remember this? Long list about the love chapter. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these. Remember we're talking about the priority that God puts on love. The greatest of these is what? Love. Now, Steve brought up a good point. Is this agape love? Let me tell you something about agape love. We can't do it. That sounds, that just sounds crazy, doesn't it? Okay, we can't live the Christian life, and we can't love as we're supposed to. This all brings it back to this is why we need a Savior. This is why salvation is so important. This is why we need Jesus taking up residence in our life so that Jesus, who died for you, can give his life to you so he can get, live his life now through you. We can't do this on our own. You can't grit your teeth and try harder. But what you can do is hang on to him. Abide in the vine. Rest in who you are in Christ. And get this identity piece. We're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep saying About the time I get tired of talking about it, some of us are going to just start getting it. So we're going to keep banging this drum because it's that critical. The greatest of these, the priority is love. Love. So how do we know our calling is to be lovers. Look at this. When it comes to the fruit, which is the proof or product of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, which fruit is listed first? I got ahead of myself a minute ago. What fruit is it? Love. You know what? If you get love, the rest tend to follow along. That's right. You get that right. 
Now, we can go for kindness. We can go for faithfulness. We can go for gentleness. We can go for self-control. Some of us want to go there first. But let me tell you, if you don't get love, self-control won't work. You can't govern yourself apart from the agape, the love of God. And agape love is a love that comes only from God, and it is the only perfect, true, and unconditional love. Don't you want that? Don't you want to learn how to love people that way so that we don't live continually offended? The word offend means to trip over, stumble over. Come on, coach. There you go. You know, and that's, that's part of the curse of being raised a performance athlete. <laughs> Seriously, it's burned into your soul to try harder, work harder, fall forward, gain a few more yards as you're going down. I mean, it's, everything's moved forward and it's get another yard, isn't it? That's the way you're war- raised your entire career, your life. So now we're saying, let go and let God. You're going, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can I just go to the weight room, add some more plates on, and hit it harder? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could just work harder and it worked? But it doesn't. This is where we have to move to the place, and I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here, but I'm telling you, it's a simple word, but it is not, and it's profound, but it's not easy. It's the word trust. It comes back to, do we trust? Let me say this. Do we trust Jesus in us? But here's another question. Do I trust Jesus in you? Do I trust that Jesus is working on you, which means I don't have to control you and tell you what to do? I've had people get angry with me as a senior pastor because I didn't go get in somebody's business about something. They were stumbling. They were falling. They were backsliding. They were, having, they were living in sin. And it's like, why don't you go tell them what to do? I said, oh, I can do that, and they'll straighten up for a week or a day, Maybe. But if it's not Jesus working in them, it won't last. You know, all of us can do something on adrenaline for a little bit, right? We can get motivated, we get excited, and we gut it up, and we try a little harder, and the adrenaline wears off, amen? And then it just becomes work again, right? But when we are moved by love, that is a force in and of itself. And it compels you to do what you normally wouldn't do on your own. And one of those things, it forces you to trust it gives you the ability to trust at a scary level. And we'll talk more about this as we unpack this, but where most of us hit our choke point is trust. Because all of us, I'm looking around the room, there's some maturity in this room. See what I did there? There's some maturity in this room. And that means we have all been around that mountain before, right? All of us have a have a t-shirt in the closet, got, got the t-shirt, right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Most of us, as I look around the room, are old enough to have not just a t-shirt, lots of t-shirts, and multiple closets. Because we have had a lot of life under our belt, and unfortunately, we've had a lot of disappointment, a lot of disillusionment, and a lot of hurt, and a lot of damage. And because of that, trusting gets harder because our natural flesh reaction, this is both from a therapeutic standpoint and from a theological standpoint. At this point, they converge, and it is this, we self-protect. 
And, and you want a metaphor for that? Picture a turtle going into its shell. That's what we do. We go into our shell, and we become, in a sense, a shell of who we really are. And you know what that means? When you're living a life of self-protection, that means I don't get all that you are. I don't really know who you are because you're so protective of yourself. Why? Because of trust. So this love thing, Bill, this love thing, this trust thing, this means we move from the place of protection to complete exposure and saying, you know what? I'm already dead in Christ. You can't kill a dead man. You can't offend a dead man. You can't offend a corpse. So I'm going to be a walking dead man. And because of that, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified in Christ. It is not I who live any longer. I, I have been crucified. Christ now lives in and through me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So we become, in a sense, walking dead people. But we're raised to newness of life. That's the beauty. There's a resurrection, right? Steve? Total victory is through total surrender. That is profound. That is profound. And boy, what a, what a man, that's thought-provoking there. Say it again. Total victory is through total surrender. Through total surrender. Whew, I'd write that down if I was somebody. Mm. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. So look what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And isn't it good to know that that is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you? Think about that for a minute. Because we can beat ourselves up thinking, man, I failed, I failed the test. There's nine of these, and I failed nine of them, all of them today. I'm terrible. I'm a horrible person. See, that self-hatred kicks in, and now, now it's like, I'm terrible, I'm terrible, and we're making it all about us. This is not about you. This is about the Spirit of God being released to live through you and touching people, and you don't even know it's happening because it's organic, it's natural. No, it's not. It's supernatural. It's beyond. It's above nature. That's what supernatural means. It's above nature. This is something that flows out of you, and sometimes you don't even know it's happening. Oswald Chambers writes a lot about that in My Utmost for Your Highest, that true, authentic faith, true, authentic Christianity is happening, and you don't even, you're not even aware you're doing it. And that's the beauty of this, that when you're so full of the Spirit, and we say it around here like this, everywhere you go, you're leaking out life. You're leaking out love. You're leaking out joy. You're leaking out peace. You ever known somebody who walks in the room and there's just peace? Oh, just like you just want to take a nap. It's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Have you noticed somebody who walks in the room and there's just a sense of kindness and gentleness? What is that? That's somebody leaking out the spirit, the life that's in them. That is what this is about. We find out who we are and whose we are. And in finding out who we are and our identity, we begin to operate in love. It's incredible. We're going to keep moving. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, indicate that all of the fruit of the spirit flow from and out of what? Love. Love. Here's the fallacy, because it's easy to start thinking about this, Bill. I, man, I totally feel you in this, because I raise the same way. Is we, we'll see the end game. 
There's the objective, right? Also, military folks are real prone to this, right? There's the objective. Now we've got to get a strategy. We've got to get a game plan to get to that objective, okay? That's it. And then that becomes your priority. And now it's, now it's about doing, 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 doing to get to that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, Christianity is not that. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not about doing, doing, doing. It now becomes about being, being, being. So we're not here to do loving things. We're here to become love. Don't let that blow your mind yet. Don't let that go, oh, this is too abstract. This is No, it's okay. We're in this together. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to reveal things to us as we go through this journey together. And he's going to peel back layers. And what doesn't make sense tonight might next week or the next week. If you will avail yourself to this, this is going to click for you. And can you imagine if we had 60 folks who were operating out of love? I think we'd see the third great awakening, frankly. Are anybody looking for that? I mean, come on, Lord. You want to talk about revival when people actually begin to operate out of love and not out of religious duty. Let me tell you what will happen to every person in this room. You will smile a lot more. You will laugh a lot more. And let me tell you something. You'll laugh in the face of things that used to bring you to your knees because you know that's a fact, not truth. That's something that's temporary and subject to change. And when you can approach life like that, you can approach trouble like that, you can approach difficulty like that, and you begin to realize because of your history in God, He's been good before, He's going to be good again. I used to be this way and I responded this way, but I'm not there anymore because I'm now here and I'm operating out of a new heart I'm operating out of a Christ heart. And because of that, I'm not going to respond like I used to. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I've made some movement, and I'm going to celebrate that every day. And thank God that I'm not who I used to be, and I'm becoming who I'm going to be. But here's where I am now, and I'm not going to respond like I did last time. You know what that is? That's shouting ground. That's something to be celebrated because that means you're growing and you're learning. And I'm telling you, life will flow out of you. And what will happen is people that are in your orbit right now, your relational orbit, people that orbit around you, that are in your sphere of influence, they're going to start going, something's happened to you. You're different. Two weeks ago, that would have blown you up. And the people that push your buttons, that work with you and, and are in your orbit, they can push all they want, but the firing pin is gone. They can pull the trigger, but nothing's going to happen because you are getting free. What are you free to? Free to love. And then you take it to a whole other level when you start loving them with the love of Jesus, and they're like, undone. Isn't that where we want to get? Well, that's the journey we're on. Let's keep, and we'll land the plane. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy I read this at weddings, and people cry. This is real. This is, this is for you and me, not just a, that little couple that's about to headlong into real life. Amen? This is for us. <laughs> it does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Try to read this, this passage and not think of a wedding. Because really, you'll default into... into uh, nostalgia, and a warm fuzzy. Let's read this as though he is speaking to us, saying, this is what's going to happen when you're walking in love. 
to you now. So, so let's get the wedding out of our mind and let's approach the scripture from this is him speaking to us. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Another way you can say that, it's not self-protecting. Love is vulnerable. But if there's no fear, because perfect love casts out all fear, if there's no fear, there's no fear in being vulnerable, right? It's okay to show your scars because there's no fear because the love casts that out. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You can toss that list that you've held, that metaphorical list that you've held in your heart and your mind for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You can, you, can, you can burn it like an old note. You can just burn it. It's gone. And who you held that over, by the way, they're not released. You're released. It's your prison, not theirs. Amen? Power of forgiveness. First Corinthians, listen to this. It's continuing, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I'm probably not the only human in the room that has delighted in somebody else's fall. Can we just get real here for a minute? Because the reality of it is, is that we sometimes feel justified when we see somebody that we're angry with not make it, stumble, trip up. Fail, fall, and something in us delights in that. You know what that is? That's flesh. That's flesh. That's our flesh. And I don't know about you, but I detest that about myself when that, when that tries to rise up. And I'm telling you, you've got to take a sword to that thing, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go, oh, not, not today, devil. No, no, not today. And there's something in us that rejoices sometimes when other people fall. Love does not delight in that. It rejoices with truth. It always protects. Uh, look what love does. Always trusts. Remember the trust issue I mentioned? There it is. Love always trusts. And it doesn't trust because it's been given a reason to trust. It trusts proactively. Does that make sense? It's a preemptive strike. Trust before you have a reason to trust. Well, you've got to earn trust. Well, maybe in the world, maybe in West Texas, but not in the kingdom. Love trusts radically. And what does it do? It trusts the work of Christ in another person's life. When we were in Abilene, I lost count, and that will vouch for this. We lost count of how many weddings we did of couples who came to our church and they were living together. And I never once preached about the sin of living with one another, ever. You know why? Because I trusted that if they would get in our atmosphere, breathe our air, they would love the flavor of our ice cream, so to speak, and the Holy Spirit would do the work that he does. I never once preached against that. You know what happened? We did wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding. We've already done one here. Same situation. Somebody came to me and said, I'm just under conviction. I said, no, you're not. You're convinced. Okay, I know. I'm convinced that this is wrong, and no one ever said a word to them. 
Here's the problem. We're repulsed by other people's behavior, so we think we're doing a godly thing and telling them they're doing the wrong thing. It's called judgment. But what it is, it comes down to, I'm repulsed by your behavior. I'm repulsed by your choices. So I'm going to step in the place of Holy Spirit, and I'm now going to tell you you're wrong. The Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. A lot of people put a lot on speaking the truth, but they forget the love part. And it is dangerous. It is deadly, and it, it'll leave a wake of bodies behind it. So I have to move into this, that love always trusts. And that means I trust Jesus in you. I trust his work in you. Do you think God can be trusted? Can Jesus be trusted? Can we trust the work of Jesus in someone else? So look what it says. It always hopes. Remember what hope is? Joyful, confident expectation of a desired good. It always has confident and joyful expectation. Joyful, confident. That means God's got this. God's good. Better than that, the fact that God's got this, God's got me. Better than the fact that he's got your situation, he's got you. That's what we rejoice in. He's got you. Always perseveres. Never quit, never quit, never quit. Didn't somebody say that by the name of Winston Churchill? Love never fails. So, look at this. What qualifies us to be lovers? A better question is this. What did God accomplish in us to qualify us to become lovers? God has to do something in us to set us up to become the lovers that he's destined us to be. So what did he do, and what does that look like? It's going to sound familiar because we've been dealing with identity for a long time here, and we will continue to beat that drum. So here it is. Number one, Christ put his life in you to be your source to love others. Let me tell you the good news about this. You can't do it, but he can, and that's why he gave you his life. Does that make sense? Just nod or something. He put his life in you so he could live it through you so that he can actually love. He, he's the source. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has what? You know what the word life in the Greek? It's zoe. Not zoe, it's zoe. And it literally means the God kind and God quality of life. That's what is in you. He's put that in you. He who has the Son has the God kind and the God quality of life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the God kind and the God quality of life. See that? That doesn't mean they're dead. They may be dead in their trespasses and their sin. They're still, their heart's beating and they're functioning but they don't have the God kind of life, the God quality of life. Now, here's another one. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, the Revised Standard Version says this, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ, we're now plugged into the power source. He's the source. I can't love. Hey, you finally said it. Good, you finally admitted the truth. Oh, but he can and he's your source, and he'll do it through you. Isn't that powerful? I love it. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. The only reason why we can love is because he loved us first. 
You can't give away what you don't have, right? But because he loved us first, we now have something to give. We have something to present. And what do we present? We present Jesus. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, working through you and touching others. Number two, I love this word. You are a container of all of Christ's love. Has it ever dawned on you that Jesus Christ himself has taken up residence in your life by the Holy Spirit? The Spirit that's holy is the Spirit of Jesus living in you and me. He lives in us. And here's what we get. When we get him, we get everything. We get the full meal deal. We're biggie sized to the nth degree. I mean, we get everything. Look what it says. Colossians 2.9. It says, For in Christ all of the... How much of the fullness? All. all of the fullness. That's a lot. All of the fullness. That's like all and then more all. It's all of the fullness. He reiterates it on purpose. That, that language is in, intentional. All of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Christ. And you have been given fullness, what? In Christ. This Christ that lives in you and me, you get the whole deal. You've got the whole package. Spiritual awakening is this. It's not awakening to all this outside stuff. It's awakening to the truth of who you already are in Christ. That is what we need to awaken to, right? That's Sunday sermon. So you hang in there. So look at this. You are a container of all Christ's love. And look at, look at all this that Christ contains. Unconditional love, worth, humility, righteous, acceptance, patience, forgiveness, Christ confidence. I love that. Freedom, security, discerning, wise, adequate. These are all of his attributes. Thankful, kind, sacrificial, compassionate, selfless, fearless, victorious, strong, joyful, peaceful, and good. These are just some of the attributes that reside in you right now if you are a follower of Jesus. If you are born again and you gave your life to him, he gave his life to you and you contain all of that. Now here's what we've got to learn to do is release that. Because take the lid off because it is not for us to keep. It is for us to give away. You know what's so awesome about when we give away Jesus is that there is an endless, there's a never-ending, endless supply. There's an infinite supply of Jesus. You're never going to give away so much that you're depleted. When I feel like I'm burned out, it's because I've been in my flesh and I'm physically giving out too much. It's not spiritual, it's physical. But spiritually, there's more than enough to go around. You're a container of all of Christ's love. As a container, you possess all of Christ's love. Now, while you read that, don't just wait for the next slide. I want you to read that and personalize that. Say, as a container, I possess all of Christ's love, and I am possessed by his love. Isn't that incredible? No, it's not incredible, because that means unbelievable. It's credible. This is amazing. This is an amazing truth. That as a container, I possess all of Christ's love. So now the goal is to get it out. To release it. So that others are impacted by it. So, number three, you're a partaker of God's love. Look at this. You partake of it. 2 Peter 1.4, Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Ooh, that is loaded right there. 
We get to participate in the divine nature of Christ himself, of God, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'm not going to unpack that because of time. That is loaded. We love because that is our true identity in Christ. As a son of God, as a daughter of God, as a follower of Jesus. By the way, when someone comes to you and says, so tell me, who are you? Most men will default to what we do. I'm a welder, I'm a, I'm a CEO, I'm a CFO, I'm a whatever. We tend to default to what we do. That's not who we are, and that's not what the question is. Have you, any of you, actually just stopped and say, who am I? Who am I? Somebody asked me who I am. I'll tell you who I am. I'm glad you asked that question. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm a son. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. What I do is irrelevant. Who I am is everything. I'm a son of God. I'm a son. That's a game changer, family. It's a game changer. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you are a bride. You are a bride. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You are. You are a daughter, a bride. You're all of those things. We love because that is our true identity. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses, especially as a new believer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That means a new identity. You're not who you used to be. The old is gone, the new has come. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from where? God. That goes back to who our source is. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, he's talking about agape love, not phileo or eros. That's another kind. He's talking about the only love that can come from God is born of God, and that's unconditional, perfect love. And that's how we know. We love because when God gave us a new identity, He hardwired us to be lovers. Isn't that cool? He's created you. That is your destiny. Therefore, loving others is not only what you do, it is who you are. This is a shift because we are doers by nature. We've got to get out of the doing mindset and get into the being mindset. And that may not be as simple as it sounds because it's a shift in our thinking. Because our thought is, if I do loving things, that adds up to me being a lover. But it's really not. It's me becoming love that makes me a lover. Then loving things come out of that because the source is Him living His life through me. I will say it over and over. You hang in there. Don't give up. Now, a couple of things and we're done. Number five, you are a dispenser. You're a dispenser of God's love. This is the leaking out piece. We are to leak out the love and life of Jesus. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Now you tag that into 1 Thessalonians 3. It says this, May the Lord make your love increase, and here it is, overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. There is an overflow. We're supposed to live life not out of the cup, but out of the saucer. You get that? 
The cup should be so full that we're living life out of the saucer, not the cup. It's called overflow. We live life out of the saucer, not the cup. We live life out of the overflow. So we'll land the plane with this. Christ's love in us is the only thing that qualifies us to be divine lovers. That's it. It's the love of Christ. Since this is true, do we have any excuse for not loving others? This is the beauty of this thing. That's not a condemning statement. It's exciting. 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love. And I'm going to end. This is our last slide. This is a quote from Dallas Willard. In fact, Bill shared this, and it, was, it rocked me. This was thunder to my soul when I read it. So I want us to read this together. I, just, I want you to get your eyes on this. And it says this. Our aim under love is not to be loving to this or that person. I want you to think about this. But to be a person possessed by love as an overall character of life. Love is not what you choose to do. It is what you choose to be. Don't you love that? It's not just about doing. It's about being. It is not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. Rather, come to them as a loving person. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It is his identity. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? So let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Next week, do chapter 2 before we come back. If you didn't get a book, uh, get it next week. That's fine. You're not going to be that far behind. This is actually pretty easy to move through. So let's pray together. Father, all of this, this is a lot of doing, being, And this whole idea of plugging into the source and becoming love, being love. Father, I'm asking as a son, would you peel back the layers of this truth so that we begin to learn this and actually know it in our knower, not just our head. I don't want to know this as a concept or an idea or a doctrine. I want to know this as the truth for my life. And I pray that for each of my friends here that you would peel back the layer. And for those that are following us online and watching this online, Father, Father, everything, that they would hear this, they would say, yes, that's truth. That resonates in my heart too. doesn't matter where they are. doesn't matter where they're located. doesn't matter about proximity, Lord, but these, this truth would get into us. And by your Spirit, we would become lovers. Lovers of God, lovers of our neighbors, lovers of one another. And ultimately, lovers of ourself, not in a worldly way, but in a godly way. So we thank you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for hanging in there for our first night.